This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin, Ken Campbell, Ryan Kennedy, and the NHL season is young, but there is some crazy stuff happening already on the ice as we get to our hot topics to kick it off. It's choke slams, literal choke slams. <laughs> Michael Matheson of the Florida Panthers just goes all WWE on Elias Pettersson of the Canucks after Pettersson pulls a gorgeous move, deeks him out, Matheson chases him down, finishes the check, and then goes beyond that with a full-on choke slam. And at the time of this recording of this show, we know that a suspension is coming for Matheson. We don't know the length yet. But I guess, first of all, do you guys agree that there should be a suspension in the first place for this choke slam, which may or may not be in the rule book officially? Absolutely. I, I don't even think it's a question. It's absolutely a suspension. I mean, I, I mean, he has eight seconds between the time he gets clowned and the time he starts on this sort of hit. That he's, that he's putting on Elias Pettersson behind the net. So he goes behind the net, he hits Elias Pettersson into the glass. Up to that point, he's okay. If he just, even if he finishes check, even if he rubs him out just a little bit more, okay, that's fine, that's fine, you, you expect that. But then when Elias Pettersson is in the air, he takes him and he throws him to the ice, hits his head on the ice, gets a concussion. I mean, to me, this is, if this isn't a suspension, I don't know what is. And I don't care what people say. Uh, you can say all you want that everybody's equal in the NHL and all players are treated equally, but some players are more equal than others, and Elias Pettersson is one of those players. He's, he's, a, he's a star in the making. He is, a, he is the hope for the Vancouver Canucks. He is why they're 3-2 and two right now and, and, and in, a, in sort of contention early on. I mean, I don't know if it's going to last, but, I mean, people pay to come and watch this guy play. They don't pay a cent. I mean, Mike Matheson's a, a, a fine player. I know he got that $39 million deal, and, and he's a good player, and he's got potential, but people don't pay a penny to watch Mike Matheson play. People pay to watch Elias Pettersson play i'm gonna probably be a little unpopular here but i've watched the clip a lot you sort of do the zapruder on it i don't think it was that bad i mean the big problem is elias Pettersson is a skinny guy he's gonna get bigger i mean this is something he knew last year when i spoke to him he, he said i'm not ready for the nhl yet i need to get stronger obviously his skill set is so good right now that he did make the nhl and he's already making an impact but i mean when i look at it yeah was it necessary? Of course not. But if you really look at it, he shoves him with one arm. And I know it, it seems like there's a big overlapping Venn diagram of hockey fans and wrestling fans, which we need to look into because it's a little <laughs> disturbing. But I don't think it was as bad as it seems. And it's like, I hate that Pedersen got hurt on the play. And I'm going to sound like Tom Wilson here. You never want to see a guy get hurt. But, uh, but it happens. And is it against the rules to shove a guy down? I mean, he got an unsportsmanlike penalty for it, and he might get suspended for it, but is, is it not just a matter of a player got hurt, and it's unfortunate, but it's kind of part of a, a rough game? I think it's against the rules when the puck has already gone almost out of the zone. It's, it's mm. not anywhere near the play, and he's already made the hit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I do think that's against the rules. Right. And the hit, you could tell, like, the separation from the puck was complete. Like, he didn't need to add the slam because he had already taken Pedersen out of the play. And I do think this is important with the NHL and the Department of Player Safety. Uh, the narrative, the narrative matters. So it's very important that eight seconds is crucial. The fact that Matheson was embarrassed 
on the ice and then made that play. It absolutely matters because it supports the idea that there's intent to injure, that there's a player who's angry and then goes out and does something. If it was just a play that happened yeah. with no other context before, I think it might be a different discussion. But to me, the problem is maybe not an official violation of a specific penalty in the rule book, but intent to injure. I think it was a violent play with the intent of harming and, Pedersen. But even if, the, even if there wasn't the intent to do it, like even if he didn't intend to, and I'm sure Mike Matheson did not intend to give Elias Pat Patterson a, it's actually Peterson, right? He wants to be called Peterson. He said that. He wants to be called Elias Is it Peterson. Elias? I thought Elias. it was Elias. Yeah, Elias, Elias. Peterson. Elias Peterson. Yeah, yeah so anyways. Yeah, yeah. A, anyways, I, I'm sure Mike Matheson didn't mean to do that. He didn't mean to give him a concussion. But at the very least, it's 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 reckless and it's violent. And I, I don't know. To me, that's, that's textbook to me. Fair. Um, it's early in the season, so we can't put too much stock into the standings, especially when teams that were overseas have played, I don't know, one period of one game so far this season. But still, uh, for certain teams, maybe the record matters. So I want to, I want to start with the teams that are struggling. Um, and we're going to name a team that's struggling that we're legitimately worried about. My pick is the Arizona Coyotes. I think this is a team that after what happened last year, horrible start, embarrassing start, emotionally they needed a strong start to the year. And here we are four games in. And they have two actual goals scored as a team. And you have Rick Tockett speaking out already about guys who are not pulling their weight in games. And I just think, okay, fine. Standings-wise, oh, uh, oh, three losses in a four-game stretch in the middle of the season means nothing. But because of the start last year, emotionally with yep. this young team, I think it's a big problem. It's and a here we go again. It's a here right? we go again yeah. for a team that every year seems to be the year that <laughs> finally John Chayka has arranged the pieces on the chessboard. And then they go out and... As soon as the games matter, they start losing. Last year, they won when the games didn't matter. When the games mattered early in the year, they didn't yeah. win, and here we go again. Mm. For, I was just going to say, for what it's worth, I spoke with Dylan Strom the other day, and he said they're keeping it positive. Granted, that's coming from one of the guys who actually scored a goal. Right. So right. he's in a good mood, but I see what you're saying. Well, for me, it's for me. I think that sound you hear right now is the hockey world jumping off the Vegas Golden Knights bandwagon. Mm. That's the team that I'm concerned about right now for a couple of reasons. First of all, not because of the way they're actually playing. Like, from what I've seen and from what I've read about what they're playing, they're, they're actually playing pretty well. They're they're outplaying teams, but the narrative after almost every game is, yeah, well, you know, we skated well, we moved the puck, we did everything right, we outplay our opponent, but you know, Chucks, we are on the wrong end of the of the score sheet. Think about this, guys. That Those were the games last year that this team was right, winning. Right. They were winning all of those games, and that's why they are the best <laughs> expansion team in the history of sports. They were winning those games last year, and they're losing those games this year, which suggests that perhaps, you know, there's... The, laws, the law of averages is evening out here. And I think another thing with Vegas is last year, I mean, aside from their goaltending that that was you know their goaltenders were injured at the beginning of the year everything that went right could have gone right for yeah, this team yeah. absolutely everything what do you have this year before the season even starts you've got Nate Schmidt getting a 20 game suspension last year I, again with the exception of the goaltending which took care of itself they had virtually no injuries this year they've already got um, um, St uh, Stastny Alex Tuck and Derek England are injured on right. this team so to me I'm just wondering if it's not a case of uh, the hockey gods are kind of, mm. you know, kind of getting things back on track here. The house always wins. Right. Ah, the, hey cas nice. the casino analogy has turned against <laughs> no. them. Oh, no. For me, I'm looking at the St. Louis Blues. And what I'm worried about is 
they're in that deadly central division. And when you have a team like Chicago off to a great start, all of a sudden when you look at that uh, ranking, it's like, uh-oh, here's the team that just missed the playoffs last year, and they're already surrendering points. And I just think that things are too tight for the Blues not to come together early because, I mean, there are question marks. There was a lot of roster churn in St. Louis, and, you know, I mean, they had some bad luck last year. Goaltending was an issue. Um, the solution isn't necessarily there yet, and, I mean, they lost Carter Hutton to free agency, and he was actually their best goaltender. Yeah. So when I look at the Blues, obviously they have time to turn it around, but at this point in the season, I would have loved to see them get off to a hot start rather than a so-so mediocre start. Fair choices. Uh, and now let's look at the teams that are starting strongly that we should be excited about. I'm going to say the Carolina Hurricanes, 4-1-1, one and, one, and they aren't just slipping by, getting lucky, getting good bounces. If you look at the possession numbers, Carolina has been absolutely dominant, just controlling <coughs> the game. I'm talking Boston Bruins style or LA Kings, Daryl Sutter, Sutter era style dominance around the puck. So if they can just get some goaltending, whether it's going to be Peter Mrazek or Curtis McElhinney or Scott Darling comes back, I think they're starting to look like a team that could be pretty formidable. We already knew their defense core was good, and it's their forwards. Their scoring looks vastly improved. Yeah. Sebastian Ajo is looking more and more like he is going to be not just a first-liner, but a first-line center in the NHL. And they, they, they hung in with Winnipeg last night for two and three-quarters periods. They only lost 3-1 on an empty net goal. And Winnipeg, as we all know, is the best team in the league, and they're going to win the Stanley Cup this year. So There you go. There you go. Well, my team is, uh, my team is actually a team that probably defies logic, and the analytics people probably hate these guys, but I'm going to say the Chicago Blackhawks. And, I mean, they blow leads. They, they kind of play a real loosey-goosey style. They're not very good defensively. Um, but I think what separates this team from a young team that would be doing that and maybe defying everything is that these guys know how to win, right? And I think, I think that's a big part of it is, is if you get, you know, sort of some good mojo going with some of these guys that have won before, then they kind of, they kind of get rejuiced up. And, and I think, you know, I'm not saying that Chicago is going to be a great team this year, but I, I don't see any reason why they can't if they continue to play with this kind of, you know, with, with this kind of energy. Like, there's a lot of energy in their game. And they do have some good young guys, right? They've got a lot of energy in their game. Jonathan Taves appears to be rejuvenated. Um, so there's a team that I, you know, I mean, when we did a hot take a month or so ago, I said, hey, they were going to finish 31st overall, win the lottery, and get Jack Hughes. Um, that's kind of <laughs> turned its on, been turned on its ear a little bit, I think. There you go. And speaking of young players contributing, the team that I'm looking at right now is the Anaheim Ducks. And what I like about the Ducks is that coming into the year, they had some injury problems. Obviously, Corey Perry, a big one, Ryan Kessler. They're veteran guys. And when you looked at the roster, it was kind of like, is this the end? You know, they're, they're kind of aging out. But... They've done a really good job replenishing. Mm -hmm. Maxime Comtois, fantastic start to the year. Yep. Sam Steele's playing. Troy Terry's playing. You're getting minutes from young guys. You're getting contributions from all over the lineup. I mean, they've, they've been pretty good in terms of the mix of scoring. And John Gibson's been excellent in net. I, I think really, and Matt, I know you're a big John Gibson fan, uh, the question was always just, you know, could he stay healthy? Well, so far, so good. And, again, it is early. But they're getting the goaltending. We know they have a great defense score, headlined by Hampus Lindholm, and they're also getting all this scoring from a range of players, including young guys. And I think that's the key because, you know, eventually Corey Perry is going to come back. Eventually Ryan Kessler is going to come back. But the pressure won't be on them to, you know, 
put up more effort than they can at this point in their careers. So having that new cast come in, I think, really bodes well for the Ducks. Mm, interesting. Uh, it's fantasy insider time. And I've said this before, okay? When it comes to pickups, you're looking for pedigree and opportunity blending into one. And that's where you get Brady Kachuk. Fourth overall pick. You know he's projected to be a very important first-line player, and he's already on the first line in Ottawa. You just have to go, to go get him. The opportunity's there. He's going to get the minutes, and we know how talented he is. He's playing with Zach Smith, Mark Stone. And the good thing with young players, same thing goes for Thomas Shabbat, is that the Senators, they really need these guys. So Brady Kachuk, as long as he's on the team, will continue to get these opportunities, and he Absolutely. should be owned in all leagues. Same with Thomas Shabbat. Uh, Next pickup, Michael Furland in Carolina. And you know what? When he was included uh, as part of the trade, I thought, well, he's a throw-in, you know, a power forward. And he sort of benefited playing with Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan. And he's proving me wrong so far. He's been a point-per-game player. Yep. He's looked excellent. He's shooting the puck a ton. And in leagues that count hits, he's almost like, right now, he's playing like a rich man's Tom Wilson, if you will. I, I have him on my team. I went and got him. Uh, pickup number three. And this is a guy that... It might seem like a strange suggestion because he's been playing poorly. He was a healthy scratch already. Casey Middlestat of the Buffalo Sabres. And to me, this is where you're looking for an opportunity to steal him away from a frustrated owner who dropped huh. him. Because he shouldn't be dropped. We know the talent is there. And in my own league, my dad. <laughs> hey, dad. My dad <laughs> dropped Casey Middlestat. I immediately chirped my dad and picked him up. Boom. Because we know the pedigree is there. We know he's a talented guy. The season is young. He's got good line mates right now. I think it's Jeff Skinner and Kyle Pozo. And you know eventually the results are going to be there. They're going to give him a long leash. So just go grab him. It's, it's a tiny sample size so far, so just go get him. Future watch time. Ryan, who do you have? Who are you looking at for the 2019 draft class? Well, I felt this was the perfect opportunity to go right to the top. Jack Hughes, consensus number one pick for the 2019 draft. And the reason this is good timing is because we saw something special on the weekend, which was the NCDP playing against the University of Michigan, which meant Jack Hughes versus older brother Quinn Hughes. And what was really nice is Michigan coach Mel Pearson let Quinn take the opening faceoff, even though he's a defenseman. So you got some Hughes on Hughes faceoff action, which nice. is nice. Now, Jack ended up winning the night, three points in a 6-3 victory for the NCDP. Uh, I've said it before, this looks like one of the best NTB, NTDP squads ever, rivaling the 97 class that had Austin Matthews, <laughs> Matthew Kachuk, Jack Roslovic, and that was just the top line. Um, but this team is scary good, and Jack Hughes is the focal point. He's the top center. He's so fast. He's so good with the puck. It's just it's almost impossible to stop him. And so far this season, more than a point-per-game guy. And, you know, for the NCDP, they're always playing older competitions. So you always have to factor that in yeah. when it comes to the results. And so far, Jack Hughes has lived up to expectations. Do you see any any scenario, Ryan, where anybody usurps this guy this year? It looks, it feels like it's one of those taped, you know, tape-to-tape years or whatever. You know, from start to yeah. finish, this guy is going to be the clear number one and and everybody else is fighting for number two it, it does feel that way i i don't think anybody has the the pedigree to do it i mean i guess the only question would be if capo Kako from finland really tears it up and you know i was talking to some people that said even though he's a right winger they're going to try him at center so if you have two centers then maybe you you make that comparison but the raw skills that jack hughes has like, we know he's going to be in the NHL next year. Right. And if you're a rebuilding team and you can get a young center with that kind of speed, it just seems like a no-brainer. 
and we think it's a no-brainer to take Hughes at number one. But then again, draft preview 2013, we had Seth Jones on the cover spinning a basketball, and the cover said, slam dunk to go number one. He went number four. Yeah. But I, I agree, it does feel like Jack Hughes is a slam dunk. Um, speaking of guys who are already drafted, who are you looking at this week? Well, speaking of Portland Winterhawks, and that's where Seth Jones played as junior, Cody Glass uh, from the Western League, Vegas Golden Knights first rounder, and uh, he's back for his final year of junior. I expect him to be a very important player for Canada at the World Juniors, and he's off to a fantastic start. 18 points in just seven games. The Winterhawks are flying high. Um, you know, San Jose Sharks pick Joachim Blickfeld also putting up a ton of points there. Glass is just a preeminent playmaker. I mean, he's so good creating plays, got great vision. But it's kind of interesting, for the magazine the other day, I was speaking with Scott Luce uh, from the Vegas Golden Knights, and he was saying that Glass actually has a very underrated shot as well. He doesn't use it that often because he's so good at dishing, but at the next level, obviously, you need that versatility, and Glass has it. I mean, he's got the whole offensive package. He gets stronger every year. And for me, what's going to be interesting is to see, you know, can he crack the Golden Knights next season? I mean, if they're no longer the Stanley Cup runners-up, Obviously, there's going to be a bit of roster churn there, and they're going to be looking for high-end elements. And Cody Glass, being that top-ten pick that he is, certainly has those elements. Apparently, his shot has really improved from what I've heard, because uh, there was a time when he couldn't break a pane of himself. Come on, yes. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> you know what? That was pretty good. I, okay. It took me a second. I was like, oh, okay, he's Glass. I see. I want to see that movie Glass, by the way. To say it. Cool story, bro. We're going to stick with prospects, actually, when we're talking about uh, what's coming up in the magazine. One of our favorite issues, one of my favorite issues, I should say, uh, of the year, Prospects Unlimited. And we rank the top 100 prospects, 21 and, and younger, in the entire game. That could mean guys in the NHL. It could mean guys not even playing Major Junior yet, even younger. But they all form one giant list. And Ryan Kennedy, of course, is the curator of the list. But uh, I'm not going to give away everybody's rank, but I'm going to tell you who number five is. It's Matt Barzell of the Islanders. And Ken, you had a story on Barzell, so tell us a bit about what you learned talking to Barzell for this feature. Well, I just, I just think that, you know, I mean, it, I mean, the angle of the story was fairly obvious. <laughs> Barzell good. Was it Barzell well, good? no, it was, it was Barzell replaces Tavares, right? Right. And, and uh, you know, I mean. When you look at the numbers and you look at what he did, I mean, granted, John Tavares didn't have John Tavares when he was a rookie, okay? He didn't have John Tavares to take away those those big minutes and to take away those big matchups. But, my goodness, Matt Barzell scored John Tavares by 30 points in his rookie year. Right, um, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's pretty significant. That, he was the highest, he's the highest scoring rookie, rookie since Jenny Malkin. And, you know, talking to the kid, it seems to me like he's, He's quite prepared to take this mantle of being the guy and 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 running with it. And I, you know, you watch him play, and you watch kind of the like. I, I just keep looking, and I just keep seeing Joe Sakic, you know. And it's 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 funny because Sakic was picked 15th the year he was picked. Barzell was picked 16th the year he was picked. Both of them were should have been picked. Way higher, obviously. <laughs> Boston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three picks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and 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 they're both from BC. There's a lot of parallels there, but um, I, I get the sense that Matt Barzell's fully prepared in his second year to you know to run with this sort of franchise player tag that he's got on him now, and and I, I think he's pretty comfortable with it. Excellent. Uh, this week's hot take. 
I think this is the hottest one we've had so far. This one is legitimately sizzling. You could you could cook an egg on this take. All right, and <laughs> it's canned. Oh, here we go. Okay, all right, guys. We've been having this little discussion in the hockey world of late. You know, is Connor is Austin Matthews better than Connor McDavid? Is Austin Matthews as good as Connor McDavid? Can Austin Matthews be better than Connor McDavid? To me, the answer to that is a resounding no. <laughs> Connor McDavid is has got Wayne Gretzky's brain, Mario Lemieux's hands, and Pavel Bury's lights. He's a transcendent player. But here's the problem. The Edmonton Oilers are squandering his best years as a player. And as long as they keep doing that, this conversation is going to keep happening. We're going to keep asking if Austin Matthews is as good as Connor McDavid because Connor McDavid doesn't have anything in, in Edmonton. It's an organization that can't get out of its own way. It's spinning its wheels. It doesn't know where it's going. I mean, come on, guys. You put Connor McDavid on this Toronto Maple Leafs team and... We might be asking if he's the greatest player in the history of the world. Well, especially you know? because of Leafs fans. Right, exactly. You put Austin Matthews on the Edmonton Oilers right now and take Connor McDavid away, we're not even having this conversation. Interesting point. The only thing I'll say, and I do agree with you overall that McDavid is on his own planet, um, but Matthews' breakout this year, there were signs of it. And I, I've said before, uh, five on five primary points per 60 minutes. The NHL leader last year was not Connor McDavid. It was Austin Matthews. The only difference was usage. He wasn't getting the power play time. He's on the top power play now. and you're, So he's getting a lot of power play points. But I think he was al always producing that impressively in terms of just a minute-to-minute -minute basis. Right. So I think that this monster start from Matthews is not a fluke. And, of course, the shooting percentage is going to regress to the mean. But I do think it looks like he's going to be a 50-goal, 100-point guy this year. So I think the debate is getting a little closer, even though I agree. McDavid is. McDavid is McDavid. He's transcendent. Yeah. Transcendent. And what's yeah. interesting to me, I, I was just in Mississauga uh, watching Ryan McLeod play the Edmonton Oilers draft pick, and he's looking like a really good two-way center now. He's really grown his game. The Oilers gave him a long look. Uh, he got into some exhibition games. It was really good for his confidence. I'm wondering if, if you have Ryan McLeod as your second-line center as soon as next year, then you can once again go with Dreisaitl on McDavid's wing full-time. Yeah, but Ryan, we're talking about moving a 20-year-old kid into a, into a second-line center spot, and that's exactly yeah. what's wrong with Edmonton. They don't have that guy that can come in and hold that spot until Ryan McLeod comes in and plays a little bit and grows himself into the league. This is what they've done with Leon Dreisaitl. And now it's either, A, an indictment of Leon Dreisaitl, or they're drafting and developing, because now we don't even know if Leon Dreisaitl can be that guy, you know? Mm. So, and now we've moved Nugent Hopkins to the wing, and I don't know. To me, it, it just, it's an organization that just doesn't, like, where are they going? What are they doing? What identity are they, do they have? Where, like, where is all this going? Mm -hmm. And why are they squandering the best years of one of the best players that's ever played? All fair questions, absolutely. And speaking of questions, it's a good transition to the mailbag. A um, couple interesting ones this week. This first one, and I've tried to pronounce this name before. <laughs> I think I messed it up badly, but I'm going to try again. Here we go. Vith Vijay. Hmm? Um, <laughs> double VV here is what Vith says. So maybe that's what no, I should No, it's not said. double VV. It's either double V or VV. <laughs> well, that means Good four Vs. If it was double yeah. VV, it yeah. would be quadruple V. Come on, Vith. <laughs> uh, but Vith says, what's going on with the Red Wings? Why haven't they been able to find a win? And what needs to change? Uh, to me, I, th I think, I assume we're going to be in agreement 
uh, on this one is that the Red Wings are just really bad. They're yeah, they're just, not very, they're just not very yeah, good. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. That's just the way things are. It's going to continue this way. They're one of the leading contenders for Jack Hughes. Yeah. They're just devoid of talent, and they're hamstrung by all of their old veteran contracts, and there are going to be several years of pain. Am I missing anything here? Yeah. No, and I mean... The good thing about the Red Wings is that they're not gifting roster spots to their youngsters. I mean, Philip Zadina easily could have just been put on yeah. the opening night roster, but they said, you know what? We'd like to see him dominate in the AHL, so they sent him to Grand Rapids. No problems there. Michael Rasmussen earned his spot, so he was on the opening night roster. Dennis Chalewski, same deal on defense. And, you know, they have some defense in injuries, so they've been bringing more guys up. Philip Ronix is playing as well. But I like that there's still some accountability when it comes to the development side of the Red Wings. And, yeah, none of us expected to be Detroit good this year. The plan is for them to be good in three years. See, to me, this, this I think this is playing out very, very well for the Detroit Red Wings. I, I would have thought they'd have a win by now. I don't think they have a win as of the time we're speaking right now. I, I still don't think they've won a game. Um, but, but they're in games. They're in games. Like they were, they they hung with the Leafs on Saturday night. They were, or sorry, the uh, last week. They, you know, they're in games and they're not getting blown out. And but they're losing those games, so that gives them that 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 sort of possibility of having winning the lottery and getting a very very good player next year. Um, I just wonder how much longer the losing can can go before you have to say, you know, look, Jeff Blashill. You know, you were dealt a pretty crappy hand. Uh, you know, you haven't had a really good team since you've been here, but you're going to have to go yeah. because we just keep losing. Right. I, I wonder, you know, I wonder if that's not the shoe that drops. It's funny. The best team that Blashill's had is probably the Grand Rapids Griffins that won the Calder Cup a few years ago. So yeah, go yeah. figure. And he's still coaching the Grand Rapids Griffins in a sense. <laughs> uh, next question is Phil at Tweets by Phil. I feel like Phil's got his own tweet business happening here. Uh, early take on Rangers boss David Quinn, new coach, coming over from the college ranks, of course. Uh, to me, what I like about David Quinn so far, we know he's brought in to handle the youth movement, right. but making Kevin Shattenkirk yep. a healthy scratch, to me, he's sending a message that, okay, I know I'm the new kid here, and I know I come in with more of a connection to youth, but if my veterans aren't in line, I'm going to lay down the law and, and establish a culture. So I thought that was pretty impressive, but what do you guys think? I, I agree, and it, and it wasn't like one of those forced things, you know, like that, oh, yeah, I'm going to show who's sheriff in this town. It, it, it was like, yeah, you, you're not playing well. And, and, and the way he explained it was he said, you know, look, I, I, I've got to put the best team on the ice, and I don't really care what your paycheck says. If you're not – and, and what, he, what he said was he can live with players making mistakes and playing poorly or whatever, but when the – when the effort's not there, that's when he has the problem. And that, that was his problem with, with the Shattenkirk situation, and that was why he scratched him. And I think that that's a great thing for a young coach. I mean, these guys come in, a lot of these guys come in, you know, and they probably are a little intimidated by the, the prospect of doing that. And he went out and did it, and, and so that good on him. But another guy who you hope the organization realizes that it's not a very good team, that this team is going to grow with him and that he's going to have a chance to be able to make his mark on this team and then you judge him a couple of years down the road. Yeah, accountability and culture, I think you, know, you guys nailed it right there. Uh, David Quinn is trying to build something here. He knows that it's not going to be done overnight. He knows there are certain young players that they're going to want to bank on as cornerstones and he has to have their ear. And I think he's done a really good job so far of pushing this team in the right direction and, and demanding 
that there's buy-in. And again, as we said with the Red Wings, the results this year almost don't matter with New York. It's, it's really right. about the process. And I think Quinn has been really good in the early going when it comes to the process. Next one is from Queechee. I think we've had Queechee before. I recognize Queechee. Uh -huh. But Queechee's just good at asking questions. So if Queechee keeps, keeps busting keep, out these good questions, keep, we're going to keep answering Keep them coming, Queechee. Queechee <laughs> asks, has the Stanley Cup window for Pittsburgh already closed? That's a humdinger of a question. Sure yeah, is. It is. Sure is a humdinger of a question. As, as currently put together, I would say yes. And, I mean, part of that is injury-based, and I guess, you know, players are going to come back, but... Matt Murray, huge concern. Um, you know, like already banged up, another concussion this year. And I just worry that the injuries are outweighing all the good stuff that happened right at the beginning of his career, and we're not getting the development that we need in a starting goaltender who no longer has Marc-Andre Fleury as a safety blanket. Like, Matt Murray's the guy. And, I mean, Casey DeSmith, you know, Decent backup, fair enough, but, I mean, he's not going to play a long stretch for you. And then Justin Schultz being out four months with that brutally gruesome ankle injury. I mean, again, he's going to come back, mm -hmm. but is he going to be legit 100% when he comes back? And I, I think I, I, at this point I'm kind of worried about Pittsburgh making the playoffs, let alone winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I don't think it's closed. I think any team with Sidney Crosby and Jenny Malkin on it, and a team that, where the hockey department's run by Jim Rutherford, the window is not closed, okay? I, I think those two players alone give you an opportunity once you make the playoffs. And Matt Murray has proved, I think, if nothing else, that he's a much better playoff goaltender than he is a regular season goaltender. Um, so there's that. And I just think that Jim Rutherford has, has, is, is the kind of guy that, you know, he's, he's like the David Poyles of the world, and, you know, he's not afraid to big, make a big move. You know, I mean, Phil Kessel's been excellent this year so far. Mm -hmm. He's been outstanding. Um, so I don't, you know, I mean, that defense is atrocious. It's, it's atrocious. There's no uh, other way to describe it. It's, it's a bad defense core that needs to get better, and there, you, you, um, you, you outlined their goaltending problems, which are well-documented. But I just think that when you have one of the best players in the world in Sidney Crosby, if not, no, he's not the best player in the world, but he's, he's right there. Um, I just don't think that window is closed. I mean, does that mean they're going to win? No, but I don't think the window has slammed shut. That's fair. And I'm probably with you because of especially the Rutherford reason. We know how aggressive he is. He's always willing to address needs. And three years ago, the Penguins fired their coach. They were out of a playoff spot at Christmas. And they ended up winning the Stanley Cup that year and the year after. Right. Uh, what I am worried about, though, I mean, two things. One, I said before, uh, Pittsburgh is going to go down Chicago's path, where you have the top-heavy roster. You get your cups. It's absolutely worth it. Yep. You trade away all your picks. You, you pay a lot of money to a small amount of players. But then when, when <coughs> that group of elite guys yeah. ages out of dominance, then the whole thing crashes down. So this yep. will happen to Pittsburgh. I don't think it's going to happen this year. But the one thing I am worried about, um, it is a copycat league. And the Penguins dominated with speed a couple years ago, but I feel like every team's playing with speed now. They set a template, and I think other teams have adapted and are playing similarly. So that sort of uh, no-name defense, it's okay, we'll just use stretch passes to utilize our speed, it doesn't necessarily work as well as it did a few years ago because it's not catching people off guard anymore. And the other teams are countering with speed, so it... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah fair enough. And they got nothing, right? Like, they got nothing. No. Like, if I'm not mistaken, they got, like... 
literally nothing coming up. Yeah, and I mean, part of that is because they've been going for it so long that you trade guys away. And I mean, you know, Kalen Addison was a pretty good pickup in the draft, but I mean, he wasn't a first rounder, he was a second Mm -hmm. rounder. And, um, you know, they traded away Philip Gustafson to Ottawa uh, last year. And, you know, they've got Daniel Sprong. That's that's one guy. Uh, but he wasn't a first-rounder either. And they've been waiting on him for a couple of years now. Sure they have. It's just, it's just a matter of depth. Like, they just don't have the bodies. Right. And they need to have a couple of drafts in the future where they make, like, 11 selections. Right. And right now, they're making, like, four or five every year. And, and, and that's where they get – again, it, as you pointed out, Matt, they're not in trouble because they won cups. They accomplished the goal. But there's going to be some pain because of that process. It makes it a lot harder to hit home runs when you only have when you only go up to the plate four times instead of yeah. eight or nine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going up the, to the plate with an 0-2 count because you're not picking in the first round. Right. And we saw it with Chicago. They didn't have high-end prospects because they weren't picking in the first round. And what are people excited about this year? Henry Yokiharu, who they finally got in the first round because right. in 2017 they finally got a first-round pick. Right. So I think the Penguins are going to be in for some eventually some dark times. But it's totally okay. It's totally worth it. They just, they got some cups. It's okay. Cups is cups. Cups is cups, cups, man. (laughs) Cups is cups. Well, that's it for this week on the Hockey News Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back. And go to thehockeynews.com to learn more about the old membership program.